Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good episode. I continue with Spooner's essay, Trial by Jury. And this is another great section talking about civil trials. Gives all sorts of interesting uh, examples and shows how civil and criminal trials, they both are interlinked and in that the juries are free to be the judge of everything in both civil and criminal trials. And he explains why. And I think it makes great sense. And I hope people enjoy it. For people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I bring things like this to their attention and I show them the way the system is really supposed to work and I show them the lies they've been exposed to endlessly by constitutional conservatives, the media, and academia, their entire lives. And I'm also a self-certified master practitioner. I gave myself that award almost 20 years ago and I recently gave myself a Lifetime Achievement Award and I'm pretty sure I earned both of them. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get the show going. Okay, so I'm going to continue, Spooner, Trial by Jury. This is such an interesting essay. I really hope people read it. I hope it becomes more well-known. I know it's no treason is his most well-known, and most people have never read Trial by Jury. But I think it's a more important essay, even though it's probably a little bit more difficult. And it's just so important because... If people understood the power of an actual jury trial and the way it's designed and the purpose of it so that the people stay in charge of what crimes are crimes and get convictions and what the laws really are and what the situation really is with regards to where the rubber meets the road and that is being thrown into a cage or having some money ordered against you to be paid to some joker government situation or some connected crook to government. The purpose of the jury trial is that the individual citizens get to decide what's a crime. It doesn't make any difference what the government writes down in a book and goes through some process. I remember those after-school specials where they talk about how does it become a law, and they show some cartoon character bouncing around like a pie shape or something as it starts in the committee, and then there's a bill, and then it goes this, and they aren't entitled to just write anything they want down. Either the government is a government that's in charge of the people or the people are in charge of the government. It's only one or the other. And if the people are in charge of the government, then the way it gets expressed is in trials. That's when it happens, when the jury decides whether or not this bogus piece of crap law the government wrote down, a bunch of criminals wrote down in some state house or in D.C. or anywhere else, is going to get enforced. And when the citizens say, nah, I don't think so, if you just get one citizen, well, then they can't get a conviction. And that's the way minority positions actually get represented in our system. It's not by getting one vote out of fucking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who live in a congressional district. One vote out of millions and millions of people who live in a Senate district. (laughs) It's just idiotic. The people decide whether or not the law is any good, the prosecutor is any good, that, that judge up there is crooked as hell, whether the whole thing's being used to abuse a certain population, whether the law itself makes no sense, whether the evidence is corrupt. That's up to the jury to decide, the people, the citizens. That's how it works. And we're way into the essay now. 
and I'm going to read a section now. It's chapter, I think, four, the rights and duties of juries in civil suits. And for the most part, people think about trials and jury trials as criminal matter. And it's true that that's the most important point because that's where government really threatens people, putting them in cages. But a civil trial can be just as destructive. It can run you into bankruptcy and it can destroy your life and it can strip away from you all sorts of so-called certifications and licenses and so-called privileges and rights from you in a million ways by having the government so-called Department of Justice, just most Orwellian name, come after you with government money that you pay for to have government lawyers chase you around with bullshit made up cases. So let's go ahead and start this and see how far we get. The evidence already given in the preceding chapters proves that the rights and duties of jurors in civil suits were anciently the same as in criminal ones, that the laws of the king were of no obligation upon the consciences of the jurors any further than the laws were seen by them to be just, that very few laws were enacted applicable to civil suits, that when a new law was enacted, the nature of it could have been known to the jurors only by report and was very likely not to be known to them at all that nearly all the law involved in civil suits was unwritten, that there was usually no one in attendance upon juries who could possibly enlighten them unless it was sheriffs, stewards, and bailiffs, who were unquestionably too ignorant and untrustworthy to instruct them authoritatively, that the jurors must therefore necessarily have judged for themselves of the whole case, and that, as a general rule, they could judge of it by no law but the law of nature, or the principles of justice as they existed in their own minds. Well, that's a typical Spooner-esque kind of very, very long sentence. <laughs> it's basically a paragraph. She uses a bunch of semicolons and colons and crap like that. I honestly don't even know how to properly use those things in grammar. But it's an interesting point because the reality is we have just gone through and shown that most of these uh, kings, so-called, they didn't have large amounts of statute books like you have now. Even Hell, just a local place will have a code that's just ridiculously long. The laws weren't these things they just dreamed up, like how much water flushed in your toilet and, and making it illegal to have a bald eagle feather or, or to keep your fence X number of feet from some other thing. And they didn't just dream these things up and then the people enforced it. The reality is that people couldn't read. They couldn't write. Almost nobody could. And so the idea that there are all these complex laws, civil or criminal, it's just not true. What happened was people got wrong the same way that anybody today understands you can get wronged. And that's why I did that entire essay on natural law that Spooner wrote. And I covered that already because people need to understand that the law of mine and thine, as it's called often, is about what's fair and what's unfair. And even animals understand what's fair and unfair. Little kids understand what's fair and not fair. Sure, they're, they're selfish lots of times. They want things that are unfair, but they understand that it's not fair. And if someone swindles you, you don't need a code book to figure it out. If someone sticks a knife to you and tries to take your money, you don't need a code book to figure out who's in the right or who's in the wrong. And there was no way to have any of these complex, ridiculous written instructions in all these cases that we have now where the jury has just been completely and totally distorted so that the government has control of the entire trial. That just wasn't the way it worked, and that's not the purpose of a jury, and it turns it on its head. Like everything else, like turning men and women on their head, making trans men getting pregnant into some kind of normal thing. It's all just made up. 
Let's continue. The ancient oath of jurors in civil suits was, quote, they would make known the truth according to their consciences, close quote. This implied that jurors were above the authority of all legislation. The modern oath in England is, quote, they will well and truly try the issue between the parties and a true verdict give according to the evidence, close quote. This implies the same thing if the laws of the king had been binding upon a jury. They would have been sworn to try the cases according to law or according to the laws. Yeah, see, as soon as you give the government the authority to tell you what you must do as a juror, then the jury's no longer in charge. The government is in charge of the trial. And as soon as the government's in charge of the trial, that the government's in charge of the people, the people are no longer in charge of the government. And that just turns it on its head. And that's the fundamental thing people don't understand. A jury is an essential part of the governmental structure, just like the House, the Senate, the President, and the so-called Supreme Court. Juries are the final line of defense. They're the most important line, and they meet all the time. And they're constantly making rulings. That's how the people make known their wishes Let's continue. The ancient writs and civil suits, as given in Glanville within a half a century of the Magna Carta, was as follows. Summon twelve free and legal men to be in a court, prepared upon their oaths to declare whether A or B have the greater right to the land in question. Close quote. This indicates that the jurors judge the whole matter of their consciences only. Again, it's just clear as day that that's what juries do. They have to decide what evidence is appropriate. What is the claim? You claim you were wrong. He claims he was wrong. It doesn't matter in some specific pleading if you plead it correctly. Were you wronged or was he wronged? It's not about technicalities. It's not. That's not what justice is. Let's continue. The language of the Magna Carta, already discussed, establishes the same point. For although some of the words, such as outlawed and exiled, would apply only to criminal cases, nearly the whole chapter applies as well to civil as to criminal suits. For example, how could the payment of a debt ever be enforced against an unwilling debtor if he could neither be arrested in prison nor deprived of his freehold, and if the king could neither proceed against him nor send anyone against him by force of arms? Yet, Magna Carta as much forbids that any of these things shall be done against a debtor as against a criminal, except according to or in execution of a judgment of his peers or of the law of the land a provision which, it has been shown, gave the jury the free and absolute right to give or withhold judgment according to their consciences, irrespective of all legislation. See, the way it works in a civil case is people think that, oh, well, I got a civil award, great. Okay, well, good luck collecting it. See, collecting it is an entire whole separate issue, completely different. Just because you have an award doesn't mean you're going to get money. People avoid awards all the time. I've had all sorts of awards that get wiped out. People ignore it. They have no assets. They take bankruptcy. <laughs> all sorts of things. How are you going to collect it? So you've got to have the force of the government. Somehow, these men with guns have to be able to come and get it. That's ultimately how it works. And I've told people again and again and again that the world actually runs on leg breakers. That's all it actually runs on. And people don't understand that. They think that government somehow is this magical thing. It's not. It's just leg breakers. And the people who run government, the people who control government behind the scenes, they have the leg breakers. They either have access to government leg breakers or they have access to private security leg breakers who just, there's nothing you can do about it. I've told people again and again. 
if you think you're going to sue somebody and you sue them and the next thing you know, some fucking uh, enforcers show up at your house or at a party or something and they threaten you and your kids and your wife and they have pictures of all sorts of other people, are you going to continue? Are you going to go down to the police? And if you go to the police and they show up again and they blow up your fucking car, they cause problems, you going to do that? No, you're not going to take a chance on that. You're going to go away. That's the way it works. See, that's the way it actually works. And you have to have that ability. And that's why the juries are important in criminal and civil matters. And that ultimately you have to have that protection. Otherwise, they could just run you into the ground with civil suits. They could just get ridiculous awards against you and run you into bankruptcy if you didn't have a right to a jury trial in a civil case. The government controls that. Department of Justice can destroy you a civil case. And if you don't pay, well, what happens? Well, they just come and throw you in prison. Contempt of court. <laughs> All right, let's continue. The following provisions in the Magna Carta of John illustrate the custom of referring the most important matters of a civil nature, even where the king was a party, to the determination of the peers or of 12 men acting by no rules but their own consciences. These examples at least show that there is nothing improbable or unnatural in the idea that jurors should try all civil suits according to their own judgments independently of all the laws of the king. And then he gives a bunch of examples, and I'm not going to read them because they're in this old English crap and it doesn't really matter. The point of it is clear that the king himself, if he had a claim against him, went to the jury. Well, how could you have a claim against the king if king is subject to the jury? How can he be in charge? He can't be in charge of the jury. Otherwise, that would not make sense. But that's clearly the case. Continue. There is substantially the same reason why a jury ought to judge of the justice of the laws and hold all unjust laws invalid in civil suits as in criminal ones. That reason is the necessity of guarding against the tyranny of the government. Nearly the same oppressions can be practiced in civil suits as in criminal ones. Yes. You see, the fact that you may or may not go to prison, okay, they can give you probation. They can give you fines, court costs. Civil suits, they can still wreck you. They can destroy your life with civil cases. Happens all the time. It happens all the time. Let's continue. For example, Individuals may be deprived of their liberty and robbed of their property by judgments rendered in civil suits as well as in criminal ones. If the laws of the king were imperative upon a jury in civil suits, the king might enact laws giving one man's property to another or confiscating it to the king himself and authorizing civil suits to obtain possession of it. Thus, a man might be robbed of his property at the arbitrary pleasure of the king. In fact, all the property of the kingdom would be placed at the arbitrary disposal of the king through the judgments of juries in civil suits if the laws of the king were imperative upon a jury in such suits. Right, see, these people are they're always scamming. They're always trying to figure out ways to scam the system. That's all the legal system is now. It's just this complex set of rules and arbitrary regulations and interpretations that then allow this select special group who control government to get one over on the people. That's the reason it's there. That's the reason that the government has been taken over and used. And the constitutional conservatives fail to tell people the truth about this. They act as though the government's there to protect you. It's not. 
The way the system is set up at this point, the government is in charge of the people. The Supreme Court tells us what the law is. We must obey whatever the judge tells you to do as a juror. You can't sit on a jury unless you agree to do whatever the judge tells you. Interpret it however the judge tells you. Use whatever definitions they tell you. Use whatever evidence they tell you. Use whatever witnesses the government chooses to allow. See, none of that makes any sense. And the constitutional conservatives run around tell you that we're super free and that the Constitution protects you, when in fact the Constitution, to the extent it was ever even designed to protect you, which I don't believe, but to the extent that the standard story of it's even true, it's been so distorted and stood on its head for the last 200 years, certainly since the Civil War, that any potential attempt to try to claim that the Constitution is protecting you is transparently ridiculous on its face. Anyone can look around and see the massive double, triple, quadruple standards being used. Anyone connected to government can just get off and never gets charged. Anyone who's of influence with government, they never get charged. (laughs) The last two years of this phony baloney pandemic where the government people just lie all the time and Pfizer gets away with anything and all this shit is given immunity and on and on and on, all the different people, the endless amounts of corruption in the election that's been shown, you got this 2,000 mules just showing and nothing happens. See, nothing happens to the government people. Nothing happens to people connected to government. But for you, three strikes, you're out. Three small amounts of some possession of some substance that's been created into some illegal thing. And you go to prison the rest of your life. Cops can just lie about it. Say you had it. Now how are you going to win? How are you going to win? You were convicted twice before. He just says he caught you with drugs this time. How are you going to win? Oh, he's a law officer. 25 years on the force. Here's a previously convicted felon. Twice. Oh, which one are you going to believe, Mr. Juror? That's the kind of shit that can happen all the time to people. So you have to understand that the people who claim to be on your side, these constitutional conservatives, they're not. They do not tell you the truth about this most fundamental, important right and how it's completely and totally turned on its head. Let's continue. Furthermore, it would be absurd and inconsistent to make a jury paramount to legislation in criminal suits and, and subordinate to it in civil suits. Because an individual, by resisting the execution of a civil judgment founded upon an unjust law, could give rise to a criminal suit in which the jury would be bound to hold the same law invalid. So that if an unjust law were binding upon a jury in civil suits, a defendant by resisting the execution of the judgment could, in effect, convert the civil action into a criminal one in which the jury would be paramount to the same legislation to which, in the civil suit, they were subordinate. In other words, in the criminal suit, the jury would be obliged to justify the defendant in resisting a law, which in the civil suit, the jury had said he was bound to submit to. (laughs) Do you understand this situation he's drawing out, that if the civil juries are subject to this made-up thing, that they have to listen to the judge, and they must follow the law, they're given to them, blah, blah, blah. But in a criminal suit, they're free to ignore the laws and to do their conscience, that if you have a situation where the civil suit is based on a law that sucks and isn't fair and they issue a award against him and then the person is arrested in effect for resisting it, uh, contempt of court, then he's brought before him on a criminal charge and he makes his case that the underlying allegation that he was supposedly supposed to pay on is not true and not just and violates his basic rights. And the jury would at that point be free to agree with him well, then you have a situation that makes no sense. 
where the same jury would be obligated to free him in a situation where previously they'd been obligated to convict him in the civil matter. <laughs> it's, it's an impossibility. It's only one or the other. They're either free to ignore it and do their conscience as they should be, and the people are in charge of the government, or they're not. That's it. If you can't split it up, the civil and the criminal matters, they're inextricably intertwined. Let's continue. To make this point plain to the most common mind, suppose a law be enacted that the property of A shall be given to B. B brings a civil action to obtain possession of it. If the jury in this civil suit are bound to hold the law obligatory, they render a judgment in favor of B, that he be put in possession of the property thereby declaring that A is bound to submit to a law depriving him of his property. But when the execution of that judgment comes to be attempted, that is, when the sheriff comes to take the property for the purpose of delivering it to B, A, acting as he has a natural right to do in defense of his property, resists and kills the sheriff. He is thereupon indicted for murder. On this trial, his plea is that in killing the sheriff, he was simply exercising his natural right of defending his property against an unjust law. The jury, not being bound in the criminal case by the authority of an unjust law, judged the act on its merits and acquit the defendant, thus declaring that he was not bound to submit to the same law which the jury, in the civil suit, had, by their judgment, declared that he was bound to submit to. Here is a contradiction between the two judgments. In the civil suit, the law is to be declared to be obligatory upon A. In the criminal suit, the same law is declared to be of no obligation. <laughs> you see, it's very, very simple. There's no way to get around that stuff. See, that, and that's the part that people have just been so misled about. Let's continue. It would be a solipsism and an absurdity in government to allow such consequences as these. Besides, it would be practically impossible to maintain a government on such principles, for no government could enforce its civil judgments unless it could support them by criminal ones in case of resistance. A jury must therefore be paramount to legislation in both civil and criminal cases, or in neither. If they are paramount in neither, they are of no protection to liberty. If they are paramount in both, then all legislation goes only for what it may chance to be worth in the estimation of the jury. Right. Either the people in charge of the government or the government's in charge of the people. There's nothing else in between. And the problem is that the 1950 civics class version of the way the Constitution supposedly works and binds us, the Supreme Court tells us the law and all this other stupid shit, and leaves out the fact that, first of all, the Supreme Court doesn't tell us the law of the land. And second of all, the people and juries are the people who tell everybody what the law is going to be what law is going to be enforced, not the legislature, not some shit written down by some criminals in a government building somewhere. Ah, man, the people are so misinformed, so misinformed. Once you understand the way the structure is supposed to be and the importance of the jury to the entire governmental structure, then you can see how badly lied to you've been your whole life, how totally fucked up this whole system is, and how unfair it all is, and how it's actually intentionally unfair, designed that way to protect the criminals who run government and who control government from behind the scenes. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? <laughs> well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. 
Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. And how it's actually intentionally unfair, designed that way to protect the criminals who run government and who control government from behind the scenes. To oppress you and and scare you and to be able to threaten you into whatever they care to do. Through this upside-down idea that you're supposed to respect the office, respect the office, law and order, take it to the jury, take it to the court, let the court decide. While in court, it's just government telling you what to do. It's utterly idiotic. Let's go on. Another reason why Magna Carta makes the discretion and consciences of juries paramount to all legislation and civil suits is that if legislation were binding upon a jury, the jurors, by reason of their being unable to read, as jurors in those days were, and also by reason of many of the statutes being unwritten, or at least not so many copies written as that juries could be supplied with them, would have been necessitated, at least in those courts in which the king's justices sat, to take the word of those justices as to what the laws of the king really were. In other words, they would have been necessitated to take the law from the court, as jurors do now. You see, there was so little writing and almost nobody could read that how would you, even as a juror, get instructions? You just have to trust that whatever this government official was reading to you was the law. It's just utterly ridiculous and made-up nonsense. There's no way it worked like that. Let's continue. Now, there were two reasons why, as we may rationally suppose, the people did not wish jurors to take their law from the king's judges. One was that, as that day, the people probably had sense enough to see what we at this day have not sense enough to see, although we have evidence of it every day before our eyes, that those judges being dependent upon the legislative power, which was the king, being appointed by it, paid by it, and removable by it at its pleasure, would be mere tools of that power, and would hold all its legislation obligatory, whether it were just or unjust. This was one reason, doubtless, why Magna Carta made juries and civil suits paramount to all instruction of the king's judges. The reason was precisely the same as that for making them paramount to all instructions of judges in criminal suits. That is, that the people did not choose to subject their rights of property and all other rights involved in civil suits to the operation of such laws as the king might please to enact. It was seen that to allow the king's judges to dictate the law to the jury would be equivalent to making the legislation of the king imperative upon the jury. Yes, and just because it's a king versus our so-called Congress makes no difference. My positions are minority positions. What possibility do I have to have any effect over one representative of 750,000 people? None. Plus, they can promise anything they want, go up there and do anything they want. And the Supreme Court supposedly can just okay anything it wants. They just claim that now this is the law. That They find this shit in the Constitution all the time. People don't agree to it. The way it works is that you have to be able to actually enforce it. And the way the people make their voice heard about whether the laws, the government, regardless if it's a king or if it's a faked up fucking government like we have now, the way they make their voice heard is through juries. 
through deciding the cases. If they're just subject to having to listen to whatever the judge says, which is just a government employee, well, then the government's in charge of the people. God, so obvious, man. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that's what I'm hoping this essay does for people. Let's continue. Another reason why the people did not wish juries and civil suits to take their law from the king's judges, doubtless was, that knowing the dependence of the judges upon the king and knowing that the king would, of course, tolerate no judges who were not subservient to his will, they necessarily inferred that the king's judges would be as corrupt in the administration of justice as the king himself or as he wished them to be. And how corrupt that was may be inferred from the following historical facts. Then he gives a long excerpt of something from Hume who gives a nice description of an interesting, very corrupt fact. But yes, see that everybody can see that the government itself is just crooked as hell. Just crooked as hell. But what do they do? They act as though the judges are somehow independent of that. Well, they're not independent of it. The Congress itself has made all sorts of rules that requires that the lower courts must follow the upper courts. And in federal court, the judges are all appointed for life, and you have absolutely no say in it whatsoever. It's completely idiotic. The courts reflect the corruption of the government. They're there to make sure that the government can be as corrupt as possible while the people are snowed into believing that they're there to protect you. And anybody can look at how they actually function and see that's the case. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to make any difference to people. They just continue to ignore it. They just ignore it over and over and over. That no matter what happens, the people continue to believe in this fantasy system that they've been given. This idea from these government civics classes that there are these three branches of government, they check and balance each other. Look around. There's no checking and balancing going on. None. It's all moves in one direction. It always has. Bigger and bigger government. Fewer and fewer rights. More and more restrictions. Greater and greater debt on the people. <laughs> Every single thing is like that. So... Why do people continue to believe the court can somehow protect us and that the system set up is beautiful and makes perfect sense? Because of massive brainwashing every single day by constitutional conservatives who tell you all these lies. That's the reality that people believe, completely believe, that this system is a genius freedom machine. Even though there's just every single thing you see makes no sense. Oh, well, the Constitution is not being enforced. Um... What's the mechanism for enforcing the Constitution? It's in the document. What is it? What is it? It's voting. <laughs> voting. Well, the voting doesn't work. If you're a minority position, well, then you have no rights. They can just trample on them. And that's perfectly expressed by the Civil War, which both sides love on. And it makes no sense with a voluntary union of states or people. See, if you're in a minority position like the South was, they determined, well, look, we can't control the House, the Senate, or the presidency. So our position is over. We have no representation. Right. And so what'd they do? They decided they were going to leave. They said, look, we've had enough of this. Best of luck to you. We're going to leave and form our own country and run it, and you guys can do what you want with yours. Well, that was unacceptable. See, that was unacceptable to the overreaching government. They went down there and they killed those people, burned all their shit, forced them back in. And then they tell everybody that they, quote, save the union. How do you save a union by force if it's a voluntary union? You can't. See, you can't. 
But because the people are so fundamentally confused, they can't even see that. <laughs> uh, okay, he gives a bunch of examples. Like I said, I'm not going to read them for the same reason I didn't read them in the last chapter because they're just... They, they've got these old terms, they're complicated examples that it's impossible to do. If you want to read them, then go pick the essay up and read them and you can see them, but it's not going to help. It's really not going to help make the points I want to make. So right, let's pick up the text. Magna Carta has another provision for the trial of civil suits that obviously had its origin in the corruption of the king's judges. The provision is that four knights to be chosen in every county by the people of the county shall sit with the king's judges in the common pleas in jury trials on the trial of three certain kinds of suits that were among the most important that were tried at all. You hear this? They had people chosen to oversee the king's judges in the most important jury trials to make sure there was no fucking chicanery being pulled by these king's judges. They had their own people sitting in there. See that? <laughs> The reason for this provision undoubtedly was that the corruption and subserviency of the king's judges was so well known that the people would not even trust them to sit alone in a jury trial of any considerable importance. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. That the people knew that the way the system worked was a scam. And of course today, the people are so confused by government education and the endless brainwashing by media and academia and constitutional conservatives that they truly believe in this freedom machine which they know nothing about. Totally and completely confused about it. Let's continue. He gives another example of the actual wording, which we're not going to read. It would be very unreasonable to suppose that the king's judges were allowed to dictate the law to the juries when the people would not even suffer them to sit alone in jury trials, but themselves chose four men to sit with them to keep them honest. This practice of sending the king's judges into the counties to preside at jury trials was introduced by the Norman kings. Under the Saxons, it was not so. No officer of the king was allowed to preside at a jury trial, but only magistrates chosen by the people. See, it's just, there's just no way to get around this. And I've explained over and over during this essay when I've talked about it how the people are given these so-called instructions they must follow. And that's what turns it all on its head. So it doesn't matter that you so-called elect these judges. They're, the judges who get elected at state levels in those, in those courts, they're still bound by all these made-up rules the government imposes on them. And as soon as they're being imposed and then you have to do whatever the judge says, the whole system is set up to be a scam a railroad job, and you just look around, ask anybody who's ever practiced in these courts how crooked they are. They produce just nothing but gross injustice. Any possible justice being done in these courts is purely accidental. <laughs> purely. Continue. But the following chapter of John's Charter, which immediately succeeds the one just quoted and refers to the same suits, affords very strong, not to say conclusive proof, that juries judged of the law in civil suits that is made the law so far as they're deciding according to their own notions of justice. Yes, and then he gives yet another quotation. And here it is. And if on the county day the aforesaid cannot be taken, so many knights and freeholders shall remain of those who shall have been present on said day as that judgments may be rendered by them whether the business be more or less. That's the quote. Now you see why I'm not reading most of these quotes, right? What the hell does that add? It just confuses everybody. 
<laughs> it's not helpful. And it's just pages and pages and pages of those kinds of proof. You have to sit down and read them very carefully. And I would have to explain each one of them each time so much it would be detailed. Everybody would fall asleep. The entire essay would be meaningless. Let's continue. The meaning of this chapter is that so many of the civil suits as could not be tried on the day when the king's justices were present should be tried afterwards by the four knights before mentioned and the freeholders, that is, the jury. It must be admitted, of course, that the juries in these cases judge the matters of the law as well as fact, unless it be presumed that the knights dictated the law of the jury, a thing for which there is no evidence at all. So all it meant was that, look, if they couldn't get through enough of the trials with this hokey bullshit king judge or the four knights were overseeing with the jury, well, then the, the case would go forward without the judge and just the four knights with the jury. <laughs> so they don't really need the judge. The judge was just a way the king kind of had him down there. He was trying to enforce some corruption. The people were on to it. The people were on to it. And they had a way to checkmate the guy. <laughs> but we don't have that anymore. That's completely lost. Let's continue. As a final proof on this point, there is a statute enacted 70 years after Magna Carta, which, although though is contrary to the common law and therefore void, is nevertheless good evidence inasmuch as it contains an acknowledgment on the part of the king himself the juries had a right to judge the whole matter, law and fact, in civil suits. The provision is this, and I'm going to read it. It is ordained that the justices assigned to take the assizes shall not compel the jurors to say precisely whether it be deceit or not, so that they do show the truth of the deed and seek aid of the justices. But if they will, of their own accord, say that it is deceit or not, their verdict shall be admitted at their own peril. You can see why it's so difficult. And he's, got, he's using these old words, and it's just a question of whether, in effect, it was guilty or not guilty, or in a civil suit, judgment for or against. And so the question was whether or not it was a question of law as well as fact. And this statue admits the law as well as the fact was in the hands of the jury, that the statue was nevertheless void because the king had no authority to give jurors a dispensation from the obligation imposed upon them by their oaths in the law of the land that they should make known the truth according to their own consciences. This they were bound to do, and there was no power in the king to absolve them from the duty. And the attempt of the king thus to absolve them and authorize them to throw the case into the hands of the judges for decision was simply an illegal and unconstitutional attempt to overturn the law of the land, which he was sworn to maintain, and gather power into his own hands through the judges. In other words, the fact of the existence of the statue was given as an example just to show that, yes, the jury was in charge of both the facts and the law, and that the king was, in fact, attempting to try to figure a way to get around that. Well, the only reason to have to figure a way to get around that is because you're having something to get around. <laughs> and that's what this entire purpose is, is to show people that everybody knew the juror decides the law and the facts in a case, even in a civil case. Attempts by the king, by putting a judge in, well, they stopped that with the four knights. Here's got another attempt. We points out that this is just another attempt that's been exposed. So let's go ahead and finish it up because we're almost at the end of this section. He had just as much constitutional power to enact that the jurors should not be compelled to declare the facts, but that they might leave them to be determined by the king's judges, as he had to enact that the law should not be compelled to declare the law, but might leave it to be decided by the king's judges. It was as much the legal duty of the jury to decide the law as to decide the fact, and no law of the king could affect their obligation to do either. And this statue is only one example of the numberless contrivances and usurpations which have been resorted to for the purpose of destroying the original and genuine trial by jury. 
See, he gives example after example of how the king attempted to try to undermine what the jury was actually there to do, which is to make sure that the jury was in charge of both the law and the facts, and that way the people stayed in charge of the government. And the examples of how it's been distorted in our system are so numerous that there are no examples of anything else. The entire system is turned on its head. The entire system is the judge gives the jury the law. The jury decides the facts. Well, the jury doesn't even decide the facts. The jury just decides the facts as provided through the evidence that the court decides is okay under the standards the court's given with the definitions the court's just given them. And on and on and on. It's idiotic. It's clear as day that the evidence for the way the system's supposed to operate is overwhelming, and he provides it. Anybody can read it. But we don't really even need the evidence because the logic of it is so clear. It's so fucking clear. If the jury is not in charge of all the aspects of the trial, then the government's in charge. And if the government's in charge of the trial, then the government's in charge of the people. The people aren't in charge of the government. Because the way the government enforces its made-up rules is through trials <laughs> and through arrests and enforcement actions, which ultimately go to trials. That's why the Constitution provides for a right to a trial by jury in civil and criminal cases. And now you're hopefully understanding how distorted it all is and what a group of traitors those constitutional conservatives are who continue to fail to inform people of the reality and what a bunch of liars the people in academia are and what a bunch of liars the government are and what a bunch of violators of their oath the people are who work in the so-called Department of Justice, the justice system, these judges swear to uphold the Constitution and just violate the living crap out of it every day, abuse the people. We wouldn't have to be concerned about the government and all the made-up laws, fake bullshit they pull if people understood this right to a trial by jury and what a jury is supposed to actually do and how the jury fits into the governmental structure of keeping the people in charge. It's very difficult to get a unanimous jury verdict if the people picked for the jury aren't selected out like they are now where they must do this and must do that, can only follow this, can only follow that, and all the evidence is all strictly controlled, and all the charges are strictly controlled, and all the wordings and definitions. If you just had people presenting their case, and you had this piece of shit from the government coming up there, trying to make up these phony baloney cases against citizens, and the citizens just stood there and made their case, and other citizens were free to decide, you know what, government sucks, it abuses me too. Not guilty. Judgment in favor of the defendant. This whole thing would stop. All this abuse would stop. And that's why it's important to understand these rights. So it's another good chapter. Like I said, I had to skip through a bunch of the uh, examples. I read a few of them just so people could see how completely confusing they are in audio portion and how she really have to read them and study them to make any sense out of them. That's just reality. That's why I skipped them. So hopefully people enjoyed this. All these uh, episodes run long, as usual, because I want to try to make them into a... Uh, a chunk that makes sense when I do them. And that was an entire chapter. And I think it makes sense to do it like that. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, I guess. For people who want to follow me, they can. I'm Legal Man at U.S. Law Review on Twitter. I'm still on there. The movie's coming out, The Jones Plantation. I play Mr. Jones. It was written by Larkin Rose. It's a fantastic analogy of moving from chattel slavery to debt slavery and the way our governmental system is crooked as hell. I think it's going to be a great movie. I hope people get behind it, support it financially, make it make a ton of money so that people will make more like that. 
And I want to thank the people in Patreon who support my show. I really do. I appreciate that because it takes a lot of time to make the show, think about the show, to get the knowledge to make the show. And I hope the show is a service. I think the show I do is unique. And if everybody heard my show, we'd get tens of millions of people on our side and things would change. And the people who support my show with money and Patreon, they help make that possible. So thank you. And besides that, there's not much else to say. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day, wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time. For Legal Man. Great show. Thanks so much. Get the ticker service on the way out. More quash. More quash.